the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome back listeners. Dr. Jason Patterson is an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in foot and ankle and he recently gave a talk at our Phoenix meeting titled, Ankle Arthroplasty, Where is the Love? Okay, Dr. Patterson, who is the typical patient that gets ankle osteoarthritis? And along those lines, what's the takeaway for our providers that are managing ankle sprains and ligament laxity? Why is it important to manage those appropriately? Ankle osteoarthritis is different than shoulder, hip, and knee in that the patients that typically get it are usually patients that have suffered an injury. So hip and knee and shoulder arthritis is typically the result of genetics. And, you know, I, I tell patients, bad luck. Uh, you're going to get it no matter really what you do or don't do. But ankle arthritis is different. Most patients that get it, they've usually suffered some type of injury or trauma. And sometimes all, all it is, is is an ankle sprain or two that then led them to have constant ankle instability. And over time, that starts to wear out the cartilage in the ankle, and, and then they get osteoarthritis of the ankle. Occasionally, we'll see rheumatoid arthritis and, and just primary osteoarthritis, but oftentimes it's what we call post-traumatic arthritis, where they've suffered an ankle fracture, lower leg injury that, that then damaged the cartilage, and once it's damaged, the arthritic process starts. And just to kind of back up, I think I think a lot of people um, don't even truly understand what arthritis is. They, they sometimes think of it as like a, an infection, something that can spread or grow. But arthritis, really all it means is that there's inflammation of a joint. And so when we talk about osteoarthritis, it usually means inflammation of a joint that's deteriorated the cartilage or the smooth part of the joint. And now the joint just doesn't function as well. It has stiffness. It has pain. Uh, and like I said, often it's a result of, of trauma when we're dealing with ankle arthritis. Okay. What are some non-operative treatment options for ankle arthritis prior to arthroplasty? Yeah, I think, I think one of the most important things we can do is prevention. You know, I think there's no cure for arthritis really of any joint in 2023. Uh, you would think that this this being the most disabling disease in America, maybe, maybe worldwide, but definitely America, that we would have some type of cure, uh, but as of now, the only cure is, is surgery. So I think prevention. So I tell patients when I see them just for simple ankle sprains, make sure you get it treated properly, that I'm aggressive with booting these injuries, getting them into physical therapy to make sure that their uh, ankle sprains don't progress to osteoarthritis. But when I see patients that already have osteoarthritis or degenerative joint disease of the ankle, I, I will certainly try non-operative treatment Probably the most successful is cortisone injections and bracing. The ankle is very amenable to, to an ankle brace. Um, cortisone injections, although I get questions every single day about how safe they are, and there's lots of information on the internet online about how um, problematic cortisone and steroids can be. I think people are, are mixing up the indications with cortisone and prednisone in general versus a cortisone shot in the ankle. Cortisone injections in the ankle are extremely safe. They're very effective. You, I, I usually will do up to three or four a year, as long as they are working and, and effective. If they only last for a week or two, then I think doing more shots doesn't make a lot of sense. But I have lots of patients that see me about every three to four months because they're getting shots and they're happy with the, uh, the pain relief they get. 
embracing same thing. They'll, they'll wear a brace when they go out hiking or play tennis or pickleball and um, their pain's managed. Uh, other non-operative treatment would be oral medications, cane, walker, not real sexy options for most patients, but that's kind of the gamut of uh, options for people with ankle arthritis if they're wanting to delay or postpone surgery. All right, Dr. Patterson, ankle arthroplasty. You explained that the ankle is the most common joint for an arthroplasty in the foot and ankle. I was hoping to go through some of the considerations you have for ankle arthroplasty. You presented a slide at your talk that went over your considerations for doing an ankle arthroplasty and those considerations being much more extensive than, say, a hip or a knee. Yeah, so the ankle joint, I think this is some of the things we've learned over the years on how to have to make the implants more successful. Um, the the talus is very small compared to, to, say, the knee or the hip. It's got a much smaller surface area than the hip or the knee, but it bears the same amount of weight and the same amount of stress when somebody walks or runs or jumps or hikes, whatever it is. So we got to take that into consideration. The ankle talus bone is wider and the anterior part of the front part. That's typically why the ankle is more unstable when someone is on their tiptoes or what we call plantar flex. So most ankle sprains usually happen when someone's um, in a plantar flex or a tiptoe type position. The design of the implants is trying to cover as much of that surface area of the bone as possible. So not only does it provide stability, it distributes the stress across the entire bone so that the implant will survive. The other challenge with the ankle compared to the hip or knee or shoulders is vascular supply. 70% of the talus is covered in cartilage and the talus bone is one of the bones that are that's involved in the ankle joint, the other one being the tibia. But the talus being almost entirely covered in cartilage, it doesn't have great blood supply. Blood can only enter a bone where there's not cartilage. So when you're doing ankle replacements, you got to be real aware of where the blood supply is and not to, not to damage it. So I think this is one of those things, again, it's important to have it done by a surgeon who does a lot of ankle placements. So they think about all these things, they're comfortable with the dissection and, and avoiding damaging the blood supply. If you, if you damage the blood supply to the talus, the bone can die, just no different than any other living tissue. If it doesn't get blood, it won't get the nutrients and it can actually die. And dead bone is called osteonecrosis, which is a recipe for disaster for an ankle replacement. And the implant won't mend to the bone and it'll collapse into the dead bone. The cartilage around the ankles is unique and different compared to the, the hip and knee as well. It's often thinner. So even though it has a smaller surface area, it's also not quite as thick as the, as the knee and the hip, which I think it makes it more prone to post-traumatic arthritis like we mentioned earlier. So it doesn't take much damage to not only disrupt the blood supply to the talus, but also damage the cartilage to where it starts becoming bone-on-bone -bone arthritis. You explained that some feel that arthrodesis is actually the gold standard for treating ankle osteoarthritis. In my experience, which goes back a few years, the early generation arthroplasties didn't do so well. Um, and you went over some of the mechanics of why this was the case and that newer implants have corrected some of this. When might you choose an arthrodesis over an arthroplasty of tibio-talar joint osteoarthritis? Yeah, now we're getting into the real controversial stuff. And I'm sure if some of my, my partners or colleagues were listening, they, they would have different thoughts and feelings on what I'm about to say. But that's, you know, that's okay. Um, I think when I first started practice nine years ago, 
arthrodesis or fusion of the ankle was considered by many to be the gold standard. I think just now in just a short eight or nine years, I think that's changed. I think most people now would probably feel arthroplasty is the gold standard or joint replacement is the gold standard. Uh, but I, I still think the majority of people even today would argue that a fusion or arthrodesis is the gold standard for many patients. And, and that, that patient population typically is going to be the younger patients, somebody maybe under the age of 55. Some people even use the age 60. And under 60, they should get a fusion. Other surgeons use 50. The patient I'm going to consider a fusion on is, is getting less and less every year. Uh, I think when I first started, I did maybe six or seven fusions a year, and now I'm probably down to like one. So I really have to talk myself into doing a fusion. I have to really rule out an, an arthroplasty for me to consider a fusion. I'm, I'm Like I mentioned before, I, I, I strongly believe joints are meant to move. I think when we fuse joints, I think that's could be a lazy way out, um, and it causes problems. You, you fuse the ankle, and it puts a lot of stress on the joints next to the ankle, the adjacent joints. So the subtalar joint, the, the TN joint, talonavicular joint, the foot, the knee even, and sometimes even the back, it can put more stress on all those joints and can wear them out. And we've, we've seen that in research that not more than five or 10 years after a joint fusion of the ankle, they have arthritis in all the joints around the ankle, which is a very difficult problem to treat. So if you have a stiff fused ankle and now you have arthritis in all the joints around the ankle, you know, patients feel like they're walking on a peg leg. And sometimes they, they would actually do better with an amputation than, than having that type of uh, arthritis problem. So I, I'm, I'm very cautious on who I fuse. I think patients who, who would do well with a fusion are those that have a history of infection in the ankle. You probably don't want to put a um, replacement with someone with a previous infection. Um, if they've had just such bad trauma that there's lots of bone loss, um, and it's not feasible to do a joint replacement, uh, then that may be a consideration for a fusion. But even those patients, there are new implants that we can make up for bone loss. And then finally, for me, probably the biggest one I'll do a fusion on are patients with what's called neuropathy, um, often diabetic neuropathy, where they just don't have the sensation in their, in their foot. Uh, a joint replacement to function properly and to work has to be well-balanced with ligaments, has to have good mobility. And someone with neuropathy is more likely to have a failure of a joint replacement. And so I'm a little more apt to fuse that joint. So those are, those are just a, kind of the, the short list of that. But I, I've, um, the people with, with bad deformities of the ankles, I'm, I'm now doing more joint replacement and corrective procedures around the, the ankle to, to correct the deformity. Even younger patients now, before, like I said, I'd use the age 60 now. I think even someone in their 30s or 40s, I would consider an ankle replacement. A 40-year-old, if you fuse their ankle, they're going to be in their early 50s and have arthritis and all the joints around the ankle, which, like I mentioned, is a very difficult problem to treat in still a young patient in their early 50s. Listeners, stay tuned next week where we discuss the treatment of foot and ankle osteoarthritis with Dr. Jason Patterson. I hope to see you in Charlotte this May. We have our annual spring meeting, May the 5th and 6th. If you have any questions, please look at paos.org under CME.